The winningest team in baseball also has the most saves, and people who save the most money are winners. So start earning saves by investing in worthy bonds for only $10 each. These bonds earn a fixed 7% APY, and there's no fees, penalties, or minimum balance required, and they can be redeemed whenever you like. You can even round up everyday purchases to buy additional bonds. Go to worthybonds.com backslash save. That's worthybonds.com backslash save and save and win. It's time to face the music. It's your day in court with a people's lawyer, Bruce Hagan, and attorney Ray Giudice. Your day in court with renowned lawyers Bruce Hagan and Ray Giudice on Extra 106.3. My name is Tug Cowart. I will always want you to know how to get a hold of these guys if you need them, and we're going to talk about that in a second, and then we're going to brag on both of them because both of them have done some uh, pretty cool stuff at their time, and Bruce just did something very cool this week, as a matter of fact. But, uh, Bruce, how do folks get a hold of you? I'm trying to think which cool thing you're uh, <laughs> referring to because there have been several, but, yes, yeah, easy to get a hold of me. My cell phone number is 404-202-2233. Uh, check out our website, hagen-law.com. That's H-A-G-E-N-L-A-W.com. Or shoot me an email, bruce at hagen-law.com. Always happy to help you. We got a call from a listener last week who had an issue that was interesting and that it was not something that I could help him with. But what I was able to do was connect him to somebody who was truly an expert in that field. It was just worthwhile to be able to know that I'm, I'm helping this listener to get to the best legal services that I could find for them. It's somebody that I would have gone to if I had the same problem that I they love had. that. That's exactly why we do the show right here. So thank you so much for listening, and thank you for calling in. Ray, how do uh, folks get a hold of you? Well, first of all, let me say I did do a cool thing last okay. uh, Saturday. We were at the 680 The Fan That's Casino. right. Night. Man, that was so much fun. That was fantastic. Last okay. weekend. What was it going on with those cars? What was the name Lamborghini. of that place? Oh, uh, oh, Motor Cars of Atlanta. Fantastic. Lamborghinis. They had Rolls Maserati, Royce, Maseratis, Maseratis and Lotus. Kinds. You know, I felt, kind of felt like James Bond until about 945. And then I felt like, you know, just bond. I James, James Bond down. wasn't ready for bed by now. <laughs> he was leaving the, the suite at the penthouse to, right. go, to go gamble at 945. 404-964-4185 is my cell. It's been my cell for many, many years and will stay that way. RayJudicheLaw.com. We're here in Roswell, but working in all the courts all over the state of Georgia. This guy's like globetrotting lately, Ray. He's, <laughs> he's been to Vegas. He went yeah, out there. Couldn't make it to the casino. Not because he was casino. at real Vegas. He was at, at a real casino. You know, Ray and I were, you know, playing with uh, Monopoly money, and you're out there with the real stuff. But the other day, you got to uh, speak to the Georgia State Law School. Yeah, it's great. And for the last uh, few years, I've had the privilege of being being able to speak to the first year torts class. And uh, for those of you who don't know, tort law is basically what I do every day. It's personal injury. It's negligence. That, that's tort law. And so, you know, here are these uh, wide-eyed first semester law students who are unsure of what the future holds in store for them. And it's a great opportunity for them to hear from somebody who's been practicing in this area for more than 30 years, um, some interesting things come up because, you know, the, the professor wants me to tell them about my career arc and uh, how things went and then to, you know, give some measure of advice, but then, of course, field questions about different things. And some of it is the stuff they don't teach you in law school about marketing and that, that sort of thing. But the questions that kept coming up were not just sort of what is the grind of becoming a, a successful lawyer, but how can I do this and still maintain work-life balance? What is it like to raise children while you're also working at a law firm? They're great questions, right? And they're, they're valid questions. But they also reveal, I think, a completely different attitude than what existed when Ray and I came out of law school and you know when we were looking for jobs, which was more like, I'm prepared to put my life on the line and sacrifice everything I have in order to become a partner at whatever law firm it is that we're trying to get hired by. And that's clearly not the attitude now. I think it's a healthier attitude 
attitude. I just don't know that it's one that is going to provide the sort of intense training that I think you need in the early stages of your career in order to get the technical skills that you need to be the best lawyer you can be and, and competent at your craft. Even though once you've established those skills, if you want to say, well, you know what, I'm only going to work 32 weeks out of the year and I'm going to take 20 weeks off, you could probably work that out if that's the lifestyle you want to choose. So so it was just kind of revealing that this sort of different mindset. And I think it's prevalent pretty much everywhere, way beyond just the practice of law, but it was interesting to hear it from law students. Yeah, I mean, I started law school in, 19, in the fall of 1982. So, you know, just to put it in context, how long ago that was. In Emory Law School at the time, in the lobby of the law school, everybody's grades were posted by social security number. So you knew where you stood. It was cutthroat. People before the computer cut the important cases out of the law books. People competed for jobs. They badmouthed each other. I liked it. It was competitive. <laughs> hey, it takes pressure to make a diamond, baby. It does. And so it's a whole different world. I mean, when, when my class of 85 got out, you started at some of these law firms at 2,000 to 2,200 billable hours a month, okay? That's how hard you were working. You went in every Saturday. You brought the donuts on Saturday. You got there before the partners did, and you didn't leave there until you were damn sure the partner's Mercedes was way down the road and they weren't doubling back to see who left early. It was just part of it. That there was no work-life balance. Yeah, after 6, 37 o'clock, you left, you had cocktails, you went home, you passed out, you got up, rinse and repeat. You know, it wasn't that healthy, but it, it made you good. You know, how many jails have I been to on a Sunday morning and emergency preliminary hearings and bond hearings? And Bruce, how many accident scenes and emergency calls have you dealt with over the weekend? And I think that 10,000-hour rule, that intensity as Bruce talks about what, what residents in the medical profession go through and they talk about their 80-hour weeks. Yeah, that's right. That's what it takes. Uh, I'm sorry. Yeah. That's just what it takes. And, and yeah, you're talking about Malcolm Gladwell and the yeah. 10,000 hours. But practice. I'm sure none of the law students in today's world are familiar with the movie The Paper Chase, but it was a, right. a great movie with uh, Sir John Houseman was the Harvard law professor, you know, with his baritone voice and English accent telling, telling the new students, look to your left, look to your right. At the end of this year, one of those people will no longer be here. And even better when I forgot who the, the protagonist of the story is, doesn't really want to answer the question. And the houseman says, sir, here is a dime. Call your mother and have her come pick you up. You are not fit. Yeah. No, it was, <laughs> okay. it was, it was brutal. <laughs> it Love was it. brutal. But, uh, yeah. And, and, you know, the expectation when Ray and I were coming out of law school is if you could get hired on by, by a firm, you would bust your tail for seven years. And at the end of those seven years, you would become a partner in that law firm. The law firms marketed themselves that way, that that opportunity was there for you and the students were interested in it you know what is your partnership track right nobody cares about that anymore the law firms don't even offer it like that the students don't want it they don't ask for it it's, it's just a much different mindset and i'm not saying it's so bad so so here's an example one of my good friends in fact my roommate for three years in law school he's my age right so that means he's now old enough that he's the managing partner at his firm of 1100 lawyers and he just gripes to me about you know the, the, the younger young generation lawyers, the young generation and to some extent it's us like you know when i was a kid i walked eight miles to school in the snow and we liked it. But at the same time, he's also in the dilemma where here he's at a point in his career when he should be focused on being the rainmaker who brings in business, mentors young lawyers, who is keeping the clients happy and satisfied, whatever, and is, and is at the top of the heap, right? But instead of that, he tells me he's working more hours than he's ever worked before in terms of the substantive work that has to get done in these cases because he doesn't have the younger lawyers who are competent to do and he can't trust them to do it. A few years ago, I hired a young associate, a lawyer, 
very, very nice young man, very smart. After a few weeks, I noticed he had missed consecutive Fridays in a row. And I, I said, is everything okay? And he said, he's a, a Florida State football fan. And he blo- he traveled with the team. He went to every game. And he was going to block off every Friday for the college season. I said to him, no, you don't understand. That's what the partner does. <laughs> okay? You just don't have that much va- I I need you here on Friday so I can go. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> you follow the team. Yeah. And he was a really good lawyer, and it was better that he went to Elsewhere. His, create his own. That's fine. I got no problem with it. But it doesn't fit within the typical legal corporate structure of the pyramid, you know, where, where there's the— Lots of young associates at the bottom of the pyramid working lots of hours and late nights and and also pushing each other. Competition is not that bad a thing. No, it's actually really a good thing. You know, if you've got 10 young lawyers and they know that only three of them are going to make partner, well, it's better than all 10 of them think they're going to get a little trophy. And, you know, the funny thing, so, so I spent six years working at law firms at the start of my career and I learned a lot. It was clear that that lifestyle was just not going to work for me and I really knew that I couldn't sustain it working for other people. It was just never going to happen. Never had a problem with clients or making clients happy. Uh, but but the idea of sort of having to, like you're talking about, you know, just sort of make appearances um, to keep the partners happy, that was never something that was going to work. For but me. we were also financially motivated. So I've taught, I taught for about six years after graduation at Emory Law School as an adjunct professor in litigation for a three-hour Monday night seminar from six to nine, which, you know, nowadays I can't physically do. I've taught at John Marshall Law School. I've taught at Georgia Tech has a pre-law. And I start off every semester or quarter with the same question. I say, everyone in here who thinks that to kill a mockingbird is what the legal practice is about and what you would like to do if you were a lawyer, raise your hand. And they all have their hands there, except a couple and said, none of you with your hands up are going to make any money (laughs) because you're going to get emotionally involved in a case that squanders your practice and you may get paid in apple pies and everyone will pat you on the back. But at the end of the day, you didn't make no money. And that's unfortunately, we are driven as a capital society and we sell quality legal services. That's what I do. I'm a business person who sells legal services. I I was driven by the desire to live and to support a family. Mm -hmm. And when I left the last firm I worked for, it was 1992, so it's been 30 years. I had $250 saved up to launch my move. I I had an 18-year-old child uh, who was apparently hungry, Um, (laughs) but I was hungrier and and I knew I couldn't fail. Uh, Like that, that was not an option. And so it led to, you know, doing everything that had to be done to make it work. And it wasn't that I left the big firm with their 2,000-hour billable hour requirements you were because I wanted harder to work than less. That. Yeah. I worked harder. It was it was 24-7, and, and it still is. And by the way, that 18-month-old baby is now uh, into his eighth year of being a lawyer working at the firm, uh, and he's and crushing And you're making it. him work 20 hours. And he's crushing <laughs> it. Yeah, that's exactly. but that's, look, that's what it's all about, being able to pass it down and, and do better than, than your parents but, did, right? But, I mean, you know, I, I will also say, though, I, I do think that um, – there is our generation and and even more so the generation beforehand probably we should have had a little more balance in our life uh too many divorces too much drug abuse alcohol abuse uh, substance abuse in a sense of how else do you get rid of the stress at the end of the day or or, or on the weekends and not enough taking care of your kids so i, I do think there's a balance so i am not totally disrespectful of that of this, these questions that you got, except I don't think you heard enough questions on the other end is like, how do I build a successful practice? How do I get to the Supreme Court? You know, I want, I don't want my heart surgeon to have a really good tan 
because <laughs> he or she is spending a lot of time at the beach or on their boat. I want them taking the latest classes and the Da Vinci procedure, and I want them in surgeries so they're sharp as a tack when I need that, you know. That thing I'm going to have to have. Experience has <laughs> real value, and that's why you go to lawyers like Bruce Hagan and Ray Judice. When we continue, the aftershocks of the massive earthquake in the trillion-dollar crypto industry continued this week. FTX. We'll discuss that next. On Extra 106.3, this is your day in court. The winningest team in baseball also has the most saves, and people who save the most money are winners. So start earning saves by investing in worthy bonds for only $10 each. These bonds earn a fixed 7% APY, and there's no fees, penalties, or minimum balance required, and they can be redeemed whenever you like. You can even round up everyday purchases to buy additional bonds. Go to worthybonds.com backslash save. That's worthybonds.com backslash save, and save and win. Hey everybody, Buck Blue here, and as a recent customer of Jim Ellis Automotive and a longtime friend of the Vice President, Stacey Ellis, man, I know Jim Ellis Automotive Group takes pride in being a family-owned and operated business. I saw it firsthand. When Stacey's granddad, Jim Ellis, founded the company back in 71, his goal was to treat every customer like family by offering a car buying experience that was both easy and fully transparent. And it worked. 50 years later, Stacy's dad, Jimmy Ellis, grew the organization to become Georgia's largest family-owned and operated automotive group. And today, third-generation family members like Stacy, along with more than 1,700 dedicated team members, are working hard to uphold the values Jim Ellis Automotive was founded on. And that's why Jim Ellis has been around for over 50 years. Enjoy the advantages of buying your next vehicle from a family-owned and operated dealership. Visit JimEllis.com or stop by any of their 20 dealerships located throughout Metro Atlanta. Jim Ellis Automotive, where you can always expect the best. This is your day in court with Bruce Hagan and Ray Judice on Extra 106.3. Welcome back to your day in court on Extra 106.3 with renowned lawyers Bruce Hagan and Ray Judice. My name is Doug Cowart. Thank you for listening. If you have anything that you would like us to touch on, any topics you would like, reach out to us. Do you guys want to hit really quick your uh, your social media handles in case somebody wants to reach out to you that way? Yeah, really. Uh, it's at Peeps Lawyer on Twitter uh, and Instagram. Twitter is a great way to communicate. So um, and, until at least Elon Musk manages to completely destroy it. But for the time being, at least, uh, it's a great way. <laughs> I do not have a blue check mark, nor will I pay $8 uh, a month to have one. <laughs> That's right. He did buy it with his own money, right? I mean, he can do what he wants. Yeah, there's right? no Saudi money. Okay. Yeah. That's what I'm getting at. <laughs> That's right. Uh, law.com I think, you know, just call me on the cell. This, I can't, I can't do it anymore. <laughs> I can't, I can't, I, I, I can't, I can't, I, oh, I sent you a message on Twitter. What? What yeah. am I looking at? My Twitter account for a legal question? I'm not. All right. All right? Let, me, let me just, just say email this. me, call me on the phone or meet me for coffee. Yes, I'm old. I'll have a newspaper at the coffee shop. Anybody right? who wants to reach me, just slide into my DMs. It's fine. <laughs> That's I, right. I don't know if I, I don't know if I like this sound of that. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah, serious. That's, the, that's the difference, right? That could be misconstrued with a guy that doesn't know. I get it. I got oh, my slapped goodness. last time I tried to do that. <laughs> that's right. I'm, I'm not even 100% certain I know what that means. Yeah. <laughs> it literally just means send you a message. That's all it is. And usually it's 
it's just some sort of romantic <laughs> type of way, but, but we'll leave yeah, that there. You hear about you know Antonio Brown uh, is Sliding in trouble into for somebody. somebody slid into his DMs. Yeah. Yeah. That's how it all starts. <laughs> this is where the downfall happens. Absolutely right. Uh, you can hit me at Tug Coward. I'm easy to find there too. We would love to cover anything that you want to discuss. Well, we'll do this segment: the collapse of FTX Global. It is a cryptocurrency, and it recently had moved its headquarters from Hong Kong to the Bahamas. The uh, former CEO Sam Bankman-Fried, hailing it as one of the few places to set up a comprehensive framework for crypto at the time. So this thing has affected everyone from celebrities to people who you would not know who they are, regular everyday folks. You know, this is going to be an octopus where the tentacles are going to reach into so many areas of both the financial world, the legal world, the regulations and securities commissions. I'm sure Senator Warren will now uh, have another committee. And instead of berating, as she has for the last four years, Jamie Dimon and other of our American bankers about overdraft fees. Now it'll be about crypto because that's on, she read it on the headlines or one of her young uh, helpers said, hey, uh, Senator, there's a crypto problem. Well, what is crypto? You know, mm-hmm. And all of a sudden we'll have regulation where there should have been. So here we got the latest Ponzi scheme, basically what it is. You know, I watch a lot of the financial news channels, both CNBC and Bloomberg. I watch how even the smart cats fall in love with these tech bros. You know, they've all got their little black t-shirt on and they won't comb their hair and they, they won't look into the camera because they're smarter than everybody. And you can't possibly understand how blockchain and crypto are going to change the world because you're tied to bullion and you know, the exchange of shells, okay? And so they make you feel stupid. And so they've backed millions of people into buying crypto because of the failure to be left behind. You know, we're, I don't want to be the idiot at the, at the, at the uh, law firm Christmas party who doesn't have half their, their portfolio on crypto. Instead, I've got, you know, Coca-Cola and, you know, Intel and some stocks where I actually get a dividend and can retire on. Well, and FOMO certainly is, is part of the factor that's driven um, first, well, hang on. But first, also, slide into your oh, DMs now, FOMO. He just, he just, <laughs> I'm sorry, Ray, knows Ray, everything. Ray, let me just slow it down for you. <laughs> Fear of missing out, FOMO, that. okay? Um, but but that's not it. It's also people are looking around and seeing these insane returns on, I'm going to put this in air quotes, investment. Um, when you put your money into crypto, your money that went in, that's real money. What the crypto is, is an illusion in, in a lot of ways, right? It's It's something. But what really is it? Like as, as Ray, Ray wants to be able to hold it in his hands, and and you can't hold it in your hands, and and so you know this. Can you describe for the audience what I've just <laughs> yeah, it's a out? Wad of it's dollar bills. Where have and, you and been? When what can I do with this? I can go across the street and buy a hamburger, or have somebody change the tires on my Here, car. Here's what you can't do: you can't go to a Falcons game and use that to buy food or, or to buy a shirt because they don't take it. I don't um, like that. This this was kind of interesting. Um, As you mentioned, I was out in Las Vegas uh, this past weekend, and my daughter uh, had a great bet for me to put down on the Formula One race, of all things. Believe it or not, you can bet Formula One races. And sure enough, she picked the winner. It was not Max Verstappen. Uh, She picked the winner of the race. And so I came back, and I gave her her winnings in cash. And she she looked at it like I was handing her like uh, a dead animal a pile of, yeah or a pile of dog poop. It's like what is this? How can't AJ, can't, how can't AJ... you just Venmo me this yeah. money? Because this cash doesn't seem real to me. I need I need Venmo where it's real. 
She didn't, she didn't know how to use the cash. How did A.J. Foyt do in that race? Did he, did he finish? A.J. Foyt? I don't think AJ so. A.J. Foyt, yeah. Um, you know, he didn't have enough did. STP in that's his uh, right, engine. That's, that's Mario. That's Mario Andretti. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, so getting back to to this FTX thing, you know, we've known this to be the wild, wild west of investing. That That's beyond the reach of taxing authorities, which has made it so attractive to so many people that nobody can track my money. Nobody knows what I have. I'm not going to have to pay taxes on it. There's no uh, W uh, or 1099 at the end of the year. Um, there's no regulation, right? We've talked about this before with some of the issues for celebrities and billionaires promoting um, various cryptocurrencies and what kind of potential liability they may have. This now that, you know, here's this massive $16 billion uh, exchange for cryptocurrency seeking the protections of U.S. bankruptcy law, which Ray brings up is an unusual thing for a Bahamas company to do, Um this is the sort of thing that could absolutely end, not just with all this pain being distributed society-wide, um, but could lead to some serious regulation. And, and, and you know, it may be that the heyday of crypto is over because of this, because now governments may look at it and say, we can't have this significant investment out here be just subject to the whims of some crazy lunatic who is commingling, apparently, the investor money with the company money. You, you know, I mean, it, it, if there's going to be criminal repercussions from this, that's what it's going to be based on, is that this guy was taking, you know, the Cowart family cryptocurrency investment fund and using it either to, to pay the staff on his yacht or to run his business, either one of which is wrong. And, and this is the classic financial problem with what's called leverage or margin or being short on a stock. It sounds great. Until you get the call from the broker, your, your stockbroker, that you got to cover your, your short call or you got to cover your margin. And now you've got to scramble. It gets a lot of lawyers in trouble. There are a lot of lawyers in the history of the practice that have had to go into their client's escrow account. And this is where lawyers lose their license to practice to cover some personal expense that they didn't think was going to happen or a gambling bet or, a, the you know, the horses all had to go to the vet at the same time. And and this is what happened to this guy, Sam Freed Bankman. You know, he was into it for billions. And then all of a sudden there was basically a run on the bank, his bank. And he had to start shifting money from to steal from Peter to pay Paul. And eventually you run out of money. And now the big problem I think he's got both criminally as well as bankruptcy court is, number one, where is the money? He's out there making statements and giving interviews that sound like, like you know, I guess if I had just been paying a little more attention, I kind of lost focus. Man, I haven't lost focus of $13 billion yet, you know <laughs> yeah. what I'm saying? Ever. And, and I, have an, I, I thought you just, you just laid out very clearly that there is federal, U.S. federal bankruptcy law potential protection, but by filing there does he submit himself to the jurisdiction of our criminal courts well and yeah civil very likely. Courts. and, and yeah. there are even there are things well, called bankruptcy crimes yeah you oh know, you can commit fraud yeah sure. you can commit fraud in the bankruptcy well filing. you can't use bankruptcy to c cover up a crime right so it, so in that fact, right it's more likely to expose the crime the applicant well because very now thorough. you're gonna have yeah. trustees trustee. digging in <laughs> um and and the trustee there's it's, there's a lot of confusion when it comes to bankruptcy law, but there's there's a U.S. trustee that, that is somebody who works for the court, uh, but then there's also trustees that are appointed. So there will be 
um, private law firms that are retained working for the trustee that will investigate this thing top to bottom. I mean, there, there are going to be law firms making a fortune on this, all of which will be paid for out of whatever assets the company has. Um, and it, it's going to be a gravy train. And what they uncover here is bound to be just awful, right? Spider's web. Yeah. I mean, so, just so they, they had estimated things. initially, they thought they had something like 100,000 creditors. They've since amended that to say they have over a million creditors. Um, what does this mean to you if you are a crypto investor and you um, used FTX as the crypto exchange for your investment? Um, other than just being out of luck, you're not necessarily going to lose everything. Um, you may, and, and, and at the time being, probably you can't access this. If you, if you wanted to liquidate it, I doubt you can. Yeah, you can't. That's, Everything's that's done, our, everything yeah. is frozen. That's right. Um, but you'll get something, at, at some point, you'll have an opportunity to make it known that you are a creditor of this bankrupt entity. And that's usually done with a notice that comes in the mail. It's still a very old-fashioned system. Um, you're, you'll get a very formal-looking notice in the mail that comes from It'll the U.S. Bankruptcy Court. scare you when court. you see it, yeah. And, and it's the sort of thing that, by the way, some people will use that format to send you fake solicitations, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. things that look like they're real but they're not. But this will be from the U.S. Bankruptcy Court. There will be a way for you to go online to verify that this came from the U.S. Bankruptcy Court. And it will be an opportunity for you to file something called a proof of claim. And, and what that means is you're identifying yourself as somebody who is a creditor, identifying the value of how much money you're saying your claim is worth, um, what you know, proving it by showing here's the transfer of you know this many this many dollars to to purchase this many coins or however it went. You know, you might have had coins already that you listed here, a screenshot of your last statement, anything. Um, but that's the way that you make your claim known in the bankruptcy court, and then you become one of the creditors, right? There are going to be a lot of creditors, and in this case, you're what's called an unsecured creditor, meaning you're at the bottom of the chain. So if you think about it from an individual standpoint, uh, if, a, if a person files for bankruptcy and they own a home that has a mortgage, right, the mortgage is what's called a secured creditor, the mortgage holder is a secured creditor, meaning that the bank that is holding your mortgage has as collateral your home. They're a secured creditor. So so you can file bankruptcy, but they can still, they're secured up to the value. And they home. come at the top or first in the yeah. payoff. There's also judgment creditors who have filed lawsuits and have judgments against the company. They're at a higher echelon. And then even within secured creditors, there's so many different tiers of security, right? But then you get the vast pool of unsecured creditors. So for the homeowner standpoint, that would be like a medical debt or a credit card debt, something like that, where you owe the money, but they don't have any collateral to, to attach it to. Um, and they're at the lowest priority and are going to get paid out Like the my least. bar tab. It's not secured. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's secured maybe by, it should be. It's secured by Ray's liver. He had to, he had to leave that there on deposit. Um, so so in, in the context of this case, there's going to be a massive number of unsecured creditors, but you want to at least be on that list if you're one of the ones who, who Well, did that's this. right. And, and so I think most folks who had some crypto or maybe had it within a mutual fund or an ETF, they absolutely should file this proof of claim. And my belief is that they're going to get a penny on the dollar or a penny on the crypto. But at least then I believe they'll be able to use it as a capital loss against perhaps capital gains within their portfolio or other investments that they may have made or perhaps some sort of capital gain set off on in their tax return. But but I really think that that's what most of the small buyer or purchasers are going to be looking at. But think about it, too. The other issue there is that now those uh, crypto investors who have not paid taxes on their right. gains in the crypto market to, right. are, are suddenly, you know, 
making a sworn filing in bankruptcy court Subject that exposes themselves right. potentially to audit. So, so if you paid, you know, you were one of the smart ones, and I, again, I'm using that in air quotes, but you bought Bitcoin when it was at $1,000 a coin and, and it went up to 50000 and you're saying that I lost, you know, I had 10 Bitcoins and so I lost uh, $5 million. Am I doing the math right? $500,000 on, on this exchange here. And they're like, hang on a second. You didn't pay taxes on that four hundred ninety thousand. We're going to call it a capital gain, um, and you're going to be taxed now, and and let alone get this back if you're claiming that loss. So yeah. it, it it's going to be very ugly and and potentially ugly. Yeah, for and a long as time. we always preach, before you file that claim of loss or the claim in the bankruptcy court, perhaps go talk to your CPA or your accountant or your broker and say, look, what is this going to subject me to? Is this worth it for me to do that? As Bruce wisely points out is there a value here or am i just angry and i want to have my day in court which you won't really get but you know you'll get it on a piece of paper because this is going to be as bruce points out uh, between the law firms and the actuarial accountants and the forensic accountants and the technology people this is going to be years of of litigation and uh and and i also think that it, it i really is shameful how uh, I was watching an interview by one of the CNBC uh, analysts or, or on commentators with uh, Charlie Munger and uh, Warren Buffett. Uh, Charlie is, owns 10% of Berkshire Hathaway. Of course, Buffett owns the rest. Charlie Munger is like 94 years old, and he was just filthy salty about how all this stuff was, you know, not only crap, but he went, I mean, he was elaborate about what, what junk this is. And the reasons. And of course, Sam Bankman, whatever, comes on afterwards and says how Charlie Munger, you know, 96 years old and a multi-billionaire, is a fool because he doesn't understand crypto. Right. And it's like this guy understands crypto, okay, and he knows it's junk. Now, look, there are some people that made money on that. People are entitled to gamble. There's, there's, as long as you say, look, it was gambling. I thought it was a hot idea. You know, I made some money. I got, I bought it at five thousand, and I sold it to Peak at sixty-four thousand, and I bought a farm. God bless you. Yeah, good job. God bless you. But it doesn't mean that these people that were the promoters aren't liable. Well, but well, think about that. Tom Brady, Steph Curry, yeah, uh, Kevin O'Leary. I mean, there's a lot of people. Jason Bourne. Yeah, absolutely. All, <laughs> all of like a lot of those guys are set to lose a whole bunch of money. And you want to talk about getting attention? Names like that help it get Who's attention. Who's the quarterback for the Jaguars? The kid. Uh, take Trevor Lawrence. He took his salary in crypto. Mm -hmm. I mean. Well, and, and look, the crypto market may still be okay. You don't know. But if yeah. you had it with FTX, you got problems. If you have it in Coinbase or something else, does it make you nervous? Is I it, think is here's the problem. So much of investing, whether it's houses, stocks, is based on confidence and emotional trend. And where crypto was gaining that, I mean, you really had you know, high-powered folks saying, well, I'm going to put 5%, like I've got 5% of my portfolio in gold, and I'm going to have 5% in crypto. And you were having Morgan Stanley, you know, smart people, Goldman Sachs saying, yeah, we're going to start, we're opening a crypto account. Well, that trickles down to where the average person that's trying to balance their retirement fund or pay for their kid's college says, well, if that smart cat that went to Harvard it's at Goldman Sachs is putting 5% of his or her money in, why shouldn't I? That's gone. And, and that... That support can collapse any stock. I mean, look what just happened to Amazon. It's a great company, right? We all buy stuff from Amazon. It's down 30% yeah. in the last, what, six months? Based on what? That they have 
couple too many warehouses? Are we all not going to buy from Amazon for Christmas? Of course they we just are. Sold, they just fired 10,000 people, yeah, too, this right. past week. And, yeah. and that trickles down to confidence. Sure. And, and you know, uh, the flip side of that is the the price of Bitcoin has been beaten down, and some people are going to look at that and say, hey, here's an Time opportunity. Time to get in. Yeah. Right. It's going to just back flow to right back up again. Right. And, and so um, – it's it's just there's no telling behavior, but certainly it does influence a lot of things just just outside of there. And and yeah, you're you're right when you see the smart guys on Wall Street doing this. Like, well, why am I not doing some of that? So, um, you know, fortunately, uh, I do my gambling in legal casinos <laughs> in Las Vegas <laughs> periodically, go, right. sometimes in Murphy, North Carolina. But uh, at Haraz, and try to try to keep it within the budget. <laughs> but yeah, it's play money. I mean, that's the way you got it. And, and I think to some extent in your investment portfolio, you, you may have a 10 or 15% of, okay, I'm solid here and I'm going to you know have a little more risk and that's all fine. And that could have been crypto. But if you had all your money in it or if you had your family fortune tied to it, I mean, I'm reading some of these articles about uh, friends and family of these crypto guys that put everything into it. There's a family that, that, that gave up work and sold everything they had and you know, been living off of it. Well, I don't, I don't know yeah. how that's going to work out. Let's go back to work. But right. it's not, uh, you know, it's it's different than the Bernie Madoff scandal in the sense that so much of that was the the personal relationships, the the real confidence man scheme. Right? Here's a guy who's telling you, I'm going to make you this much money, um, and and there was no no substance to it. But he's it, it's more of an individual thing. And then that same factor Ray's referring to of the people just don't want to be left out. I mean, people were begging Madoff to take their money. Now, now, you know? now, the truth is that much of the Madoff money was re- has been recovered through litigation and the very aggressive trustee appointed by the Madoff bankruptcy court has collected about 80% of the money back. I, I don't mean, think just, many people realize that. Yeah, and because because that was money, though, okay? It went in, it bought something. It bought a piece of sure. art. It bought a piece of land. It went into somebody's account. An- another example, when Lehman Brothers had, um, you know, their collapse at the peak of the financial crisis in 2008, and, you know, it was, if you um, paid attention there, there was like the whole ridiculous uh, scandal, these uh, mortgage-backed derivatives right. and, and how Bundled everything fell and, apart. And it was, mm-hmm. yeah, it was it was just a, 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 a scheme that couldn't sustain. But they had on paper $600 billion in assets, um, but some of those were hard assets, right? And so when they ended up recovering, they recovered about $115 billion of that. So, you know, what is that on a percentage basis? Like 15% of the, of the total, 20%? Um, it's something... It's not great if you if you're losing eighty percent of you know what you put into it. It's not that's not a good feeling, um, even with the tax write off. Um, you know Enron they, they sold off the assets of Enron, um, but they didn't get back the, the the money that you know Enron squandered. And so um, you know this one I think is uh, th- the biggest problem is that underlying it all is this fictitious asset of cryptocurrency. And so if the cryptocurrency market just goes away, there is nothing there. The, the only support was other people wanting to buy your crypto. And the belief that, that this it would thing continue has value. to go up. Yeah. The, the, I mean, that, convincing that, that someone this, it has that value. this thing we're trading here has value. And when that belief is gone, there's no value. <laughs> and to as PT Barnum said, there's a sucker born every minute. Well, it's because we're talking about this. Tom Brady, Steph Curry, they're they're um, they're facing a class action law or, or, or putting together a class action lawsuit. How, how does that play? How does this how does that work in the context of everything else? Yeah, they'll claim that they were defrauded and deceived and that they did their due diligence and, and were 
were lied to, and there'll be plaintiffs suing for damage to their reputations. Um, not, you know, they, they, it's so unlikely that they would be in a position to have any real liability unless you have true promote, promoters liability like we would have. If they were out there telling you to go buy General Motors stock, and 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 General Motors stock collapsed. That's a whole different thing. If they're if they're telling you invest in, we're, we're launching a bank. In, invest in this bank, and you can be part of this. And then they take the money and keep it. Whole different thing because that's all subject to very tightly defined regulation in the in the U.S. Um, federal code. There's none of that here when it comes to crypto. And so it's a question, and we've talked about this of like, can you apply those laws and principles to this other area uh, of? The, the new world, but it's like the law hasn't caught up to this yet. You know? It usually and, takes a while, doesn't it? Yeah, and it, it's it's the same reason you can go to the gas station and buy Delta Nine uh, and get as high as you could from smoking weed, but uh, you know the the law hasn't gotten around to regulating Delta Nine yet. It just it just sort of fit, slipped through a different category. And as a brief aside, what we're seeing now is what we call the race to the courthouse. So the three of us may have the same injury or the same financial loss from the same bad operator. But I want to get my lawsuit and my claim filed first, and I want to get the first judgment because going back to what we were talking about, prioritizing judgments and bankruptcy secure, I want that judgment first because if there's any assets out there, I want to grab them before you, who didn't choose a great lawyer, didn't get down to the courthouse, didn't do your discovery, and get that judgment. I would do better than that because I know you two. I know I know yeah, who I would pick right. up the phone call. Man, that's a segue, baby. That's exactly right it is. <laughs> when we continue on Extra 106.3 in your day in court with Bruce Hagan and Ray Judice. You've heard about Chrisley Knows Best in the TV show. You know that they had gone to court. They were charged in a federal fraud case. What is going to come of that? We know what the sentencing might be for Todd Chrisley and his wife. Next on Your Day in Court with Bruce Hagan and Ray Judice here on Extra 106.3. The winningest team in baseball also has the most saves, and people who save the most money are winners. So start earning saves by investing in worthy bonds for only $10 each. These bonds earn a fixed 7% APY, and there's no fees, penalties, or minimum balance required, and they can be redeemed whenever you like. You can even round up everyday purchases to buy additional bonds. Go to worthybonds.com backslash save. That's worthybonds.com backslash save, and save and win. Hey everybody, Buck Ballou here, and as a recent customer of Jim Ellis Automotive and a longtime friend of the Vice President, Stacey Ellis, man, I know Jim Ellis Automotive Group takes pride in being a family-owned and operated business. I saw it firsthand. When Stacey's granddad, Jim Ellis, founded the company back in 71, his goal was to treat every customer like family by offering a car buying experience that was both easy and fully transparent. And it worked. 50 years later, Stacy's dad, Jimmy Ellis, grew the organization to become Georgia's largest family-owned and operated automotive group. And today, third-generation family members like Stacy, along with more than 1,700 dedicated team members, are working hard to uphold the values Jim Ellis Automotive was founded on. And that's why Jim Ellis has been around for over 50 years. Enjoy the advantages of buying your next vehicle from a family-owned and operated dealership. Visit JimEllis.com or stop by any of their 20 20 dealerships located throughout Metro Atlanta. Jim Ellis Automotive, where you can always expect the best.
This is your day in court with Bruce Hagan and Ray Judice on Extra 1063. Federal fraud, that's not anything that you want to find yourself being accused of. Todd Chrisley and his wife, however, have been accused of that very thing. They've gone through the trial. Now we're getting to the sentencing. And, Ray, the sentencing sounds pretty darn serious. And a lot of times when it's celebrities, you think, oh, they're getting a pass. They're going to get off because of who they are. That is not the case this time. In June of this year, the federal jury found Mr. and Mrs. Chrisley guilty of federal bank fraud, tax evasion, and obstruction of justice. And nothing gets federal prosecutors and federal judges more aggravated than obstruction of justice. I'm, I'm not being facetious here. That, that is an, ad, an extra add-on. Uh, in federal financial crimes, it really matters how much you took and who the victims are and what did you do with the money. Those are kind of the, the chief components. Of course, if you have a criminal history and any acts of violence, you know, those are extra added attractions. Uh, so the jury convicted both the husband and wife, Mr. and Ms. Chrisley, of all of these crimes. And now you're looking at what is the federal prosecutor, the Justice Department, going to recommend as sentencing guidelines under the guidelines, which are not capital G guidelines anymore. They're more suggestions or a framework of consistency. Uh, and it looks like the recommendation for uh, Todd is 22 years in federal prison. And, this, and the government's recommendation for uh, what's, what's the wife's name? Is it Julie? Julie Christie is, is 13 years. It's not a slap on a wrist. Anybody who thinks 22 years of any kind of prison is uh, a light duty is out of their mind. And these folks are middle-aged folks. It's not going to be a, a happy retirement. Yeah, and I will um, confess for a couple of years there, Chris Lee Knows Best was one of my guilty pleasures. Okay. And I uh, right. spent a little too much time watching it. I, you know, it was a little bit of hate watching, but I couldn't stop. And, and so I was, for a brief period, addicted to the, uh, the Chris Lee family. But every single time from the very first episode, it was just in the back of my mind like how are these people making money like what did they ever do to get money and then you know you'd hear oh todd's in real estate i was just like i know people in real estate and it's very few of them who live that lifestyle just because they made some money in real estate okay there there are some but you know those names because you see it on buildings and you see it everywhere and i'd never seen todd chrisley's name anywhere it's like they were living this lifestyle the rich and famous for no apparent reason uh and nothing underlying it and so of course you're going to get the attention you know when you put it out there like this. And so then the allegations of bank fraud, you know, lying about the value of your assets in order to get bank loans. I mean, that's that's what Todd Chrisley was convicted of. Um, and his wife was convicted of, of doing the same. And then as Ray says, you know, you get caught in this lie. And when your immediate reaction is to do everything you can to hide the lie by obstructing the ability to find out about the lie, committing additional crimes, you're only making a bad situation worse. That would have been the time to lawyer up right away at, at the first hint that something's going on here because uh, not that a lawyer is going to facilitate your criminal actions, but they might be able to keep you from making your bad situation worse. It, it, my, my best legal aid is Donna duct tape. And I have to get Donna duct tape out of the closet every once in a while and shut my client's mouth. And as the great legal philosopher Chris Domino says, don't commit a crime while you're committing a crime. So the federal prosecutors will invite you and your counsel to come down. Just come on down. 10 o'clock, Richard Russell building. We'll meet you up in a conference room. You're going to chat and you go in there. There's three USA's, U.S. assistant attorneys. 
There's someone from the securities and, and exchange. There's somebody from the FBI, and they're packing heat. And you're like, wait a second. This looks different. I, th I thought I was going to bring something from Entenmann's. We were going to have a little <laughs> coffee, a little coffee cake, and just talk. As soon as you start talking, you're on the clock for committing more crimes, okay? And, and these folks did it on TV. And when you do federal bank fraud, your initials and your signatures are all over these documents. It's, it's the problem for the prosecution is which ones do we show the jury? We have so many good ones, you know, and so, it just becomes it's a very difficult case to defend, by the way. So the process in federal court uh, is that the trial was conducted mm -hmm. on the underlying criminal acts. The jury reached a verdict. They found uh, the defendants guilty. Now you have a totally separate event happening, which is the sentencing event. And and there's a recommendation that comes from the prosecution um, that goes to the judge, and that's um, where they recommend a 22 years for Todd, 13 years for Julie. Ray, what does the defense give to the judge to try to um, they're not going to give some to the judge saying, judge, just, just give them probation. Well, right? you never slaps know. On the wrist, uh, you, but. you would think that, but I'm going to tell you that there's, there's a couple different theories here. And, and I agree with where you're, what you were hinting at is that I think you're better off coming back and say, look, clients, I know this is a hard pill to swallow, but this judge, especially if you know the judge, uh, and you're supposed to, is not going to give you straight probation. We need to come back with a counter proposal that, that, and be sorrowful, and it may, you have to make an admission sooner or later of doing something wrong. Come back at 48 months. Come back. Now, in federal court, there's not just the amount of time, federal sentencing. It's which facility do you go to? You know, do you go to one of those super, this is not a supermax case, okay? He's not going out there with the, with the terrorists or the, the, you know, the mass murderers. But, yeah, but, you can, get, but can they bring the reality TV crew into the prison right. with him? Like, can we still film our show? <laughs> right. And right. make money and but, pay but, it off. But look, you, you, if you've got medical issues, you're going to bring those to the forefront that, that we have to have medical. We have to be in a facility where there's treatment or near doctors. If there's family, you can be actually request to be located in a facility near your family. These are not illegitimate request the federal system is really big and there's a lot of moving parts the other is the more high risk you go in there and say no judge you know we're not so sure he did anything wrong we you know we uh, blah 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 respect the, the jury's verdict but we're appealing it at the same time and uh, if anything give him straight probation and let him out so we can defend this case and appeal it well you better be right because I think if you go that route you're gonna be a whole lot closer now I don't think he's gonna get 22 years my, my estimate is, let's see, at 10 years at a 12 months, 120 months. They tend to do it in months. I don't, I don't really know why. Uh, 120 months for him and 80 to 90 months, 75 to 80 months for her. They don't have young children that they have that. Remember when uh, yeah, Teresa Giudice and Joe Giudice, <laughs> who people ask me all the time if we're related, <laughs> related yeah. I'm not quite sure. Uh, you know, why did why did he go to prison first and then she went? Well, they had very young children. And then once he finished his five years in federal prison, they deported him back to the old country and they got divorced. So the Chrisleys don't have that. But their lawyer's job is to bring forth what's called mitigation, things for the judge to consider to lessen the sentencing. But they're going to prison, in my opinion. Yeah, but they got to take care of Nana Faye. I mean, yeah, so, I mean, so, you so know, there is that. has got all the names. He knows everybody. Okay, confession. I lived in a high-rise uh, condo building next to Phipps for many years, and their son, they bought a condo in the building for their son, 
and I met uh, Grandmama, and I met them all in the lobby. And there was always it was always just commotion when they came to the lobby. They had huge the dogs and luggage and Sherpas and Escalades and but but the kid I'll say he was a young man in his early twenties, and he was the most polite. Uh, nicest young man. He was on the same floor. I will say that that every time I got off the elevator, I could smell, I could smell what I thought was marijuana. <laughs> but but you know, okay. So who hasn't? So That's but but the, I will how say. How many police reports have you looked at where it's like there was a strong <laughs> odor, odor of marijuana? Pungent, pungent odor, right, distinctive. Exactly. As we close out, if you need expert legal advice, I would recommend that you call Ray or Bruce, and this is how you do it. We'll start with you, Bruce. Easy to find me. A cell phone number 404-202-2233. That's 404-202-2233. You can call me anytime. You can email me, Bruce at Hagen dash law.com you can slide into my dms at peeps lawyer on twitter and instagram give us a follow and uh, and a like ray 404-964-4185 email is great too ray at rayglaw.com that does it for your day in court here on extra 106.3 the winningest team in baseball also has the most saves and people who save the most money are winners so start earning saves by investing in worthy bonds for only ten dollars each these bonds earn a fixed seven percent apy and there's no fees penalties or minimum balance required and they can be redeemed whenever you like you can even round up everyday purchases to buy additional bonds go to worthybonds.com backslash save that's worthybonds.com backslash save and save and win Hey everybody, Buck Ballou here, and as a recent customer of Jim Ellis Automotive and a longtime friend of the Vice President, Stacey Ellis, man, I know Jim Ellis Automotive Group takes pride in being a family-owned and operated business. I saw it firsthand. When Stacey's granddad, Jim Ellis, founded the company back in 71, his goal was to treat every customer like family by offering a car buying experience that was both easy and fully transparent. And it worked. 50 years later, Stacy's dad, Jimmy Ellis, grew the organization to become Georgia's largest family-owned and operated automotive group. And today, third-generation family members like Stacy, along with more than 1,700 dedicated team members, are working hard to uphold the values Jim Ellis Automotive was founded on. And that's why Jim Ellis has been around for over 50 years. Enjoy the advantages of buying your next vehicle from a family-owned and operated dealership. Visit JimEllis.com or stop by any of their 20 20 dealerships located throughout Metro Atlanta. Jim Ellis Automotive, where you can always expect the best. Support for Extra 106.3 comes from Natural Body Spa and Skin Remedy, celebrating their 35th anniversary and offering gift cards in-store and online. You can discover Mother's Day and anniversary presents online at Natural Body Spa and Skin Remedy at naturalbody.com.